Wow. Amen. Amen, Tom. Say it again. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well done. Looks like you knew what you're doing out there. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. I don't, I mean, we should just vote, right? We should just, can we, uh, we'll talk about Jesus first and the cross and then we'll vote. I'm, I'm emotional. I wasn't prepared for that. 40 people in the choir just about. Mercy. Gracious. Aaron, well done, man. Choir, well done. Y'all were singing hard for Aaron. That was, that, man, it's like you're cheering for him. That was, I'm sorry. It's an exciting time, the life of our church. It's been a long six months, a uh, long uh, time of um, kind of waiting and, and seeing what the Lord's going to do. But uh, it's been incredible to see how the Lord has led us to the Duncans and how the Duncans have been led to us. And it's just exciting to think about the future of our church and the potential here. Uh, if you weren't with us yesterday for the, the meet and greet and the Q&A, uh, Aaron's answers were, were so good. And I don't, again, don't let this go to your head, but every time he answered, I was like, yes. That was, Jana Little was sitting with me in the back and I was like, that was such a good answer. And just so biblical and thoughtful and intelligent and honest and all those things that we would want in a minister of the gospel here at Woodmont Baptist Church. I'm just, um, I can't endorse him highly enough. I told him any no votes he gets are probably more reflection on me than him. So uh, please uh, join me in the excitement of what the Lord is doing at Woodmont Baptist Church. He, he talked about yesterday how the potential of this church to change countless lives for the gospel to advance the kingdom of Christ in Green Hills and beyond uh, is just limitless in this place if we will be faithful to what the Lord is doing and see Woodmont Baptist Church become a, a, a healthy, thriving church that is faithful to the gospel. That's uh, an exciting time. The Lord has been good to us, hasn't he? And he's going to continue to bless us and guide us into our future. It's a new month. There's a crispness in the air. I love fall. It's my favorite time of year. I, I love the cold. I love everything about it. I love football. I love basketball starting. It's just exciting times. It, it is a new month, so we're starting a new sermon series called The Resurrection and the Life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's the conclusion of John's gospel. We've been walking through the gospel of John since last December. This is our 12th and final month to be in this gospel going verse by verse. I've never done that in my life, never preached through an entire book of the Bible, but we've done it together. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for being attentive and for, I, I pray that you've been blessed and that you've grown not only in your understanding of John, but more importantly, your understanding of Christ, that you are following him more nearly and more dearly because of our time together in this amazing gospel. This morning, we're going to look at a key text, not only in the Gospel of John, but a key text for all of Scripture, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The center of our faith, the core of, of what it means to be a Christian, is centered on the cross of Christ. In the Apostles' Creed, that beautiful statement of faith that Christians have used for 2,000 years, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And then the line that's right in the middle of the whole creed, 
the central part of the creed was crucified, died, and buried. We're going to cover Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and his burial today in John chapter 19. So please stand with me if you're able to. It's a long one. Hang in there. Focus the, your heart's attention and affection on the Lord as we hear his word together from John chapter 19, verses 17 through 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture that says they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where it seemed like there was no solution apparent? Have you ever been in a, a crisis maybe and there was no way out that was obvious to anyone? Maybe it was a scary situation and you couldn't figure out what you were possibly gonna do. Maybe it was a financial crisis or maybe you were lost or stranded somewhere. I think I've told this story before, but one Easter break, my friends and I went to another friend's lake house during our junior year of college. And we, uh, there were about 15 of us staying in, in this one nice house on Tim's Ford Lake near Manchester. And, and you know, when, when guys are together, Trey and I've talked about this, you know, that uh, their collective IQ goes down when, when guys are together. That's, that's true, absolutely scientifically verifiable. So me and some guys said, hey, let's the pontoon boat out and, and go cruise around the lake on, on, on one morning. And we couldn't get it cranked up. Uh, we couldn't get it started. And uh, we, we decided, you know, what we'll do is, and I, I don't know whose idea this was, surely it wasn't mine. Uh, we found some old ski ropes in the, in the boat. And I decided to, oh, there it is, I decided to tie them together and to make a big long rope. And I said, I'll just tie one end to the dock and then I'll tie the other end to the boat and the, the radio still works, the electronics worked on the boat, so we'll just float out there uh, into the lake and enjoy the radio and just hang out on the water. And they all said, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, perfect. And so we, we got on the boat and uh, it, it worked beautifully. My knots held and uh, we, we were out on the boat having a good time with some other guys that were back at the lake house that, that weren't on the, the party boat were, were, were jealous. And so they started to pull us back in from the dock. And, as they were pulling, we were, you know, slowly heading back towards the dock, and uh, as they were pulling, all of a sudden, the, the rope went slack completely, and I pulled frantically from my end, and they pulled frantically from their end, and sure enough, the, my knots had held, of course, but the rope had split. It had, these old rotten ski ropes had just broken right in half. And we kind of laughed about it, and we were yelling at the guys, you doofuses on the dock, you know. And the boat was, meanwhile, floating further and further out into, I don't know if there's like a shipping channel on that lake or something, but there were big boats, and it was a huge lake, and we were getting further and further from the dock. And I think it was March. It was probably, you know, less than 50 degrees outside, and the water was freezing, and, and panic started to set in, utter panic and terror. What are we going to do? There's no paddles on the boat. And my friend Adam and I said, we're gonna have to jump in and, and push it to shore. And we, we couldn't make it all the way back to the dock, so we just jumped in, and that was the most miserable I've ever been, I think, in my life, and, and just pushed it to the shore where everybody could get off of the boat. Terrible idea, not my finest moment, of course, but we made it by God's grace. Everyone was safe and, and made it. But in that moment, we had no idea how we were gonna solve the problem of being, we had no cell phones. This was before cell phones were really prevalent, I guess, about 20 years ago. We had no idea how we were gonna get everyone to safety, how we were gonna solve this dilemma that we found ourselves in. Well, the Lord God, when he created the world in the beginning, it was very good. He pronounced it very good, all of creation. But a grave problem soon arose when Adam and Eve decided to believe the lies of the enemy 
over the promise and provision of the Lord God. And they chose to rebel against God and choose their own way over God's way. They brought sin into the world for the first time, which plunged all this formerly good creation into death and darkness and decay. A grave dilemma indeed. Animals suddenly turned on each other. Thorns sprouted from the previously good plants. Violence and sickness and jealousy, greed, insecurity, shame, loneliness, anxiety, all came rushing in to corrupt this formerly good creation. Worst of all, God's own image bearers, the, the divine image bearers to creation who were to serve as vice regents, serving in this world as God's representatives to help maintain the creation and to serve his purposes here. Humans, the crown of all creation, were now sentenced to die along with everything else. And worse than physical death, left alone in their own sins, they would be forever separated from the holy God who created them. What could God do? He was in a dilemma. But God's really never in a dilemma, is he? God remains sovereign over sin, sovereign over death, sovereign over creation. He, he could have just said, you know, you guys... What you did, you choosing your own way over mine, that's not so bad. You ate the fruit, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'm just going to let it slide. I'm just going to let it slide this time. You guys just try harder next time, and, and that'll be fine. But if God said that, he wouldn't be a good God. He wouldn't be holy and just and righteous, like Jim mentioned earlier. He'd be like a, a, a mediocre parent, like we all are at, at some point who doesn't hold their kids accountable for their own actions, who doesn't follow through on their promises. Or he could have said, man, you guys blew it. You guys didn't last you know, a year. You couldn't handle this for even a short period of time. Prepare to face the music. The only fair and right thing to do is let you reap the consequences of your actions. Death, suffering, Hell, that's what you get for your rebellion. Sorry about it. But then he wouldn't be very loving, would he? God's essence is love. God is love, agape love that gives and gives and never ends. What possible solution could God come up with that would allow him to remain both just and righteous and loving and gracious at the same time? But God wasn't panicked like me on a pontoon boat in March on Timsford Lake. God had a plan. He'd always had a plan. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, when the time was ripe, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. This was the rescue plan all along. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, I quote this verse all the time. 
it makes it clear that this was God's plan. It says that God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, that's the key, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How? How was God going to unite these things that had been lost in the fall back to himself in Christ? Verse 10 says, in Christ. So how could he do that in Christ? How could Christ be the, the centerpiece of this master plan to redeem what has been lost? What's qualified Jesus to play his part as the cornerstone of this plan, as the key component of God's plan? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament, okay? After the fall of creation, God chose a, a special group of people, starting with one guy, two-syllable name from a one-syllable town, Abram of Ur, and he gave them the law that would serve to set them apart as different from everybody else on earth. They were to be consecrated as God's own possession, a holy nation for his own possession, a kingdom of priests. And on one day each year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would symbolically transfer their sins to an animal who would atone for their sins. And on Passover, they would take an unblemished lamb from their flocks, a spotless lamb, and they would sacrifice it to God, remembering how death passed over their ancestors in Egypt when they put the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorposts of their home during the, the 10th plague in Egypt. Because sin brings death, always. The natural consequence of sin is death. It's what it always leads to. But no matter how many lambs they offered, their sins were still more numerous. They still bore the shackles of sin and death, even though God had miraculously delivered them from bondage in Egypt, and then again, many years later, in Babylon, and they still could not get over their sin. So God sent them prophets to warn them of the consequences of sin and to also promise that an anointed one would come, a Messiah who would come and rescue them from sin and death forever, and God's glory would be on full display through this Messiah. But of course, God's people didn't listen. They continued in their rebellion rather than listen to the prophets. But again, this was all part of the plan. None of it surprised God because he had reserved a special spotless lamb that he would send to rescue this fallen world. First Peter chapter two, verse 22 says, Jesus committed no sin, he was spotless. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. We just read it on the cross. He didn't say, you guys are gonna pay. It's not how he works. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live 
to righteousness. By his wounds, he quotes Isaiah 53, by his wounds, we are healed. God had found a way when there appeared to be no solution to the problem of sin and death, God forged a solution that would allow him to remain both just and loving. He found a way to provide a remedy to sin without compromising either his perfect love or his perfect justice. Back in John chapter one, Verse 14, the prologue to the Gospel of John that we went through in Advent, one of the most important verses in all of Scripture, John 1.14, says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the eternal Logos, the preexistent Word of God who was sent to earth to dwell among us, he, he set up his home with us, he, he pitched his tent, is what that means, with us. He moved into our neighborhood, showing us God's glory. Psalm 85, verse nine prophesied this. It says, surely his salvation, God's salvation, is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land, that may dwell among us. And the word for salvation in that verse, in verse 9, surely God's salvation, the word for salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. And Yeshua is the same word that the angel Gabriel announced to Mary, you are to name your baby boy Yeshua. Salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. God's salvation is Yeshua. And then what's awesome is the next verse, verse 10, says that in God's salvation, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Grace and truth. Love and faithfulness. Righteousness and peace. Mercy and justice. They all meet perfectly and kiss one another in the cross of Christ. That's what our text is all about today. People wonder, you know, how could a loving God subject his only son to this kind of torture and pain and, and shame, the horrors of the cross? And I don't want to minimize the, the, the physical suffering that our Savior went through today. They say that crucifixion is, is like simultaneously suffocating and bleeding to death at the same time. He was tortured beyond belief. It was truly hellish in every sense of the word. And the spiritual agony we know from theology was even worse than the physical suffering. Jesus felt the weight of the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future on his shoulders as his loving father turned his face away. And I don't want us to minimize that, but I do want us to understand that through this terrible, horrendous act of violence, we also see the most supreme act of love ever carried out. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, it's a great little read if, if you haven't read it. He puts it this way. The buzzing cloud of flies about the cross 
the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, Lewis says, God is a, a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. The cross is the most supreme example of love. It is agape love manifested. This is the mysterious and marvelous truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that is the center of our faith. We must be captivated about the lengths that our God would go to in order to initiate his perfect plan of redemption for you and for me. The old hymn, Here is Love, it's a beautiful hymn if you don't know it, it says it well. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Okay, that was the intro to the sermon. <laughs> I just got a little bit left, I promise, okay? We'll get to the vote. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. If, if we don't get this, we don't, everything else doesn't matter. This is the core of what it means to be a Christian. How, how does this text fit into John as a whole? I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, but on time. But last month, we saw two very different kingdoms at work, right? We saw the kingdom of this world represented by Pilate and the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities as well that sought to advance their own earthly agenda versus the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom. And in verse 17 here, it appears that the kingdom of this world has won. Jesus is sentenced to die, and the sentence is carried out as he's forced to carry his own crossbeam on his shoulders out to Golgotha to be crucified, just as Isaac, Abraham's own son, was forced to carry the wood on his shoulders as he went up the, the mountain, Mount Ararat, to be sacrificed as well. It's remarkable, too, how subversive the gospel is. It's nothing like what the world would assume would be victory, is it? You know, this is a patriarchal society where, where men were seen to be humans and women were less than, which is not at all what the, the, the Bible says, Genesis 1, that male and female both created equally in God's image. And here you have this seemingly unstoppable, all-powerful Roman army carrying out the orders of Pilate, crucifying Jesus, but they're just pawns. 
They're, they're fulfilling scripture over and over again. These things that they think they're doing to make fun of Jesus and to divide his clothing among them is just fulfilling the prophecies and the promises of scripture. And on the other side, you have a, a group of insignificant, poor Jewish women, four women who are faithful to endure the suffering and to watch the shame and the agony that Jesus takes while the men have run away to hide, except for the apostle John, we know who was there because Jesus addresses him to Mary, his mother. It's significant that the women stayed. Jesus, while he hangs on the cross, he commends John to his mother and his mother to John. He's creating this new community, this new fellowship that would, would not be about blood relations. It would be about spiritual relations, that the, the church, this new thing, would become a spiritual family that we would call to be called to love one another in this kind of new family like John and Mary were. So once Jesus had taken the sour wine from the soldiers again to fulfill the prophecies, he could feel the, the chill of death creeping through his limbs. He knew that the work that he had come into the world to do had been accomplished. The one perfect sacrifice had been offered for all time. So he bows his head in, in a final act of submission to the Father's will he surrendered his spirit to him who had sent him into the world to achieve this great salvation. And he says in his final words, it is finished. This is not a pathetic cry of defeat. It's a proclamation of victory. It is finished. What's been finished? The Father's plan of redemption has been finished. Rescue has been finished. Ransom has been finished. The ceremonial law had been finished. Jesus' side is then pierced. Blood and water, I love that. Redemption and sanctification come out. The ceremonial law had been completely fulfilled and two leading Jewish officials come and he is truly dead. Some People thought he maybe just passed out. No, he's, he is dead. The blood and water have come out of his gaping wound from his side. So two wealthy officials from the Jewish leading group come forward to take his body. Nicodemus, the one to whom Jesus had said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He, he comes out of the darkness, out of the shadows. They had been secret followers, like Jim said earlier, who now, in this act of, of love for their Savior, they come forward into the light to perform this labor of love. What a powerful testimony. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish authorities. And that fulfilled scripture again. He was buried with the rich, just like the Old Testament said. So what for us today? What does the cross do for us? If, if we miss out on this text and what it means for us, as, not just as Christians, but as humans existing in this world, then we are lost indeed. 
The gospel must be the center of who we are. It must be the ground on which we build, not only build our faith, but our lives. It must be the lens through which we view all other truth claims, all other philosophies of this world, all other religious claims must be viewed through the lens of the cross and the gospel. I need to preach the gospel every Sunday, but I need to preach it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday too. I need to preach it to others and to myself. I need you to preach it to me. I need to hear that I am not who my sins are, but I am who Christ has made me through the cross. I need to be constantly reminded of God's perfect love and his perfect justice forged together into salvation on the cross out of love for me and you. You know, this past Thursday was a special day, not Halloween, but Reformation Day, of course. It was Reformation Day, 502 years to the day since Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the cathedral door in Wittenberg, thus igniting a movement across the world. Luther once said, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary, this is a medieval German talking, most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> it's true. I need you to beat it into my head that Jesus died for my sins. Aaron said yesterday during his Q&A that every Sunday when we meet to worship, we rehearse the gospel, we retell the gospel story of love for you and me. If we ever grow tired and sick of that, then we are hopeless as a church. We must be excited constantly more and more and amazed more and more by the mystery of the gospel. Lil Cook, our ministry assistant and minister to senior adults, wisely reminds our staff often, let's major on the majors. Let's, let's don't let these little side things distract us. Let's major on the majors. Choir robes, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't said anything about choir robes, but the gospel, yes. Let's don't get caught up on little things. Let's major on the majors, and there is nothing more major than the cross of Christ and his resurrection that we're gonna talk about next week as we have a little Easter Sunday here together next week. There's no better way to, to major on the majors than to look at the solution that God forged on our behalf through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We, we thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't begin to thank you enough for the cross that you have in your incredible sovereignty, you have forged a way for us to be made whole. You have not abandoned us to sin, to our own devices, but you came to rescue us. You sent your only son to take our place to die the death that our sins deserve. God, I pray that you would remind us that the grace you offer is not cheap. It was won at great cost. God, I pray that you would impassion us 
Ignite the flame of the gospel in our hearts. May it be the engine that drives this church and each one of us. May we understand more and more how, how much we don't understand about the gospel. And may it be something that this church is known for, that we believe the gospel, that we're passionate about the gospel, and that we want to tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have been redeemed by the blood of our perfect Savior. Lord, I pray now that you would move in our hearts. If someone's here today who has not ever uh, accepted the free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus, that you would um, let them surrender all that they are today and find abundant life in you, the only place where it's found. Gotta pray that for the rest of us, maybe we've, we've grown sleepy to the gospel. Maybe we need a, a jolt of, of energy and passion that can only come from embracing the power of the gospel. I pray that you would do that today as only you can. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the high and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're gonna have a time of response. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered to the gospel, if you're building your life on something other than the gospel of Christ, I invite you to come forward today and let me know about it. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ for the first time. Maybe you just wanna to come to the altar. The altar will be open for you to do that as well. Maybe you wanna pray with somebody. Uh, Trey, Jan, Brad, if you'll come forward, if you wanna pray with one of these on our prayer team, they'll be here. I, I know you all need prayer for something, I do. Um, maybe today you wanna join our church. Maybe you want to be a part of this team and say, I'm going to be a member of Woodmont Baptist Church. I'm so excited about what God's doing. You can vote in the upcoming election that way, too, if you're <laughs> joining our church. Just a little incentive. Uh, but we are uh, here for you today. Whatever it is you need to do, don't leave this place until you've responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.